and welcome to Space and Time, the podcast. Up until this point, we have focused mainly on agriculture. We've talked to farmers and traced how they came to realize their appreciation and passion for the principles of farming and interacting with natural forces. But exploring a relationship with nature through one's work is not limited to farming. Our experience with gardening and landscaping has exposed us to other trades that share with gardening an emphasis on working with nature. These other trades attract people that, like the people who we have already interviewed, do what they do in order to feel connected to something greater, something more expansive, something cosmic. Instead of farmers, this story is about stonemasons. Like farming, stonemasonry is a craft with a history that parallels the birth of civilization. It is, literally and figuratively, part of the foundation of humankind's efforts to build thriving communities. Before we introduce our interviewees, there's some history that's important to this episode, and it takes place in 16th century Japan. Okay, so picture this. We're in feudal Japan, late 16th century, and there's this very powerful man, Oda Nobunaga. Nobunaga held the position of daimyo, a regional lord who ruled over certain sections of land. These regional lords served the shogun, who were the de facto rulers of Japan for a period of about 700 years. Nobunaga wanted to become the shogun, so he staged military campaigns to reach this goal. So, Nobunaga was in the middle of a campaign to defeat a faction of warrior monks who were allied with his political enemies. For the sake of time, we are totally paraphrasing this immensely complicated and interesting piece of Japanese history. There is a ton of information about Nobunaga and his military exploits. We really recommend you look into this. We'll leave links for more details on the show notes, but back to the story. On September 29th, 1571, Oda led 30,000 soldiers to the base of Mount Hiei to challenge and destroy the warrior monks. Nobunaga's military forces killed every person they came across in this village and burned the temples and homes to the ground. The raid at the base of Mount Hiei is relevant to this episode because it brings us to the story of a clan of stonemasons who built the foundations of the temples and homes that Nobunaga destroyed. Amidst the destruction, Nobunaga noticed that the foundations of these buildings were intact and had survived the siege. Because of the clear craftsmanship of the stonemasons, Nobunaga spared their lives and later used their skills to build one of the most impressive castles of the era, the Azuchi Castle. These stonemasons were known as the Anushu. Nowadays, in Japan, the name Anushu is associated with the technique of masonry that was applied to many of the castles built in medieval Japan, the same style of masonry found at the base at Mount Hiei. The Izuchi Castle, built by the Anushu, was destroyed only three years after it was completed. However, the stone walls upon which the castle was built are still there, 
and other examples of Anushu-style masonry are found in ruins all across Japan. There's a lot of nuance to the specifics of the Anushu style of dry stone masonry. In short, it's the construction of mortarless walls that are assembled to be flexible. And not only are these structures flexible, but they are regionally appropriate for an area like Japan that experiences a lot of seismic activity. Modern engineers have even developed mortarless systems for construction that are based off of the study of the Anushu style. And this brings us to the topic of our episode, the Z-Stone Boys. Today, we want to talk about the meaning of trade and what it means to be bound to it. We want to talk about ancient knowledge that informs our decisions in the present. We want to talk about getting stone. I mean, stone masonry. (laughs) (laughs) And this ain't just any old trade. It's one that is so elemental, so basic, that its teachings have survived century after century, as we have seen with the Anushu. In this episode, we talk to three stonemasons in the local Boulder area who operate the company Z Stone. Z-Stone is a Colorado company that specializes in high-quality stonecraft. They do all kinds of stuff. Patios, retaining walls, fireplaces, even hand-carved sinks, much like the Anushu. We'll attach a link to their website on the show notes if you want to see some beautiful pictures of their work. Z-Stone is operated by Zach Johnson, John England, and Dave Powers. I love the work. I mean, I think that's, that's me. I mean, I feel like it's important in the sense, on a really basic level, it's like someone needs something, we can build it for them. One thing that is always apparent to me is that the rock, like the conversation with the rock, has to do with am I paying attention? It all revolves around the bullseye of really being awake when you do what you do. As we mentioned earlier, there's a connection between the Anushu and the story of Z-Stone. These stories are about people who are bound to a trade, which, based off of what we heard from Z-Stone, is a discipline of awareness, driven by a desire to build. The construction of stone walls remains, to this day, an area of expertise where the potential for sophistication and discipline is limitless. Zach is chairman of the Stone Foundation, which is, in short, an organization that strives to honor stonework through celebration, preservation, research, and education. The Stone Foundation was founded in 1986 in New Mexico. In the beginning, there was a two-week workshop held for 16 novice masons with the guidance of experts Tomas Lips, George Gonzalez, Joe Kenlin, and Toru Oba. Over the next 10 years, there would be seven more of these workshops all across the country and even abroad. The success of these workshops led to the concept of a gathering of stonemasons, which eventually turned into the Stone Foundation. The Stone Foundation has become a vibrant community of people who are passionately bound to the craft of stonemasonry. This is where the Anushu come in. In 2010, Tomas Lips, who we mentioned earlier, invited Junji and Sumi Nori Awata, father and son, to a Stone Foundation workshop. 
The Awatas are 14th and 15th generation stonemasons, and more importantly, connected to the Anushu lineage. Zach met the Awatas at this workshop in 2010. Oh man, I just love it when things come around full circle. A trade, a discipline that goes from master to apprentice through generations, is the bedrock of the Stone Foundation's community. This is a community that shares cultural knowledge and expertise from around the world. So, earlier in the summer this year, Miriam and I met Zach, John, and Dave on the job. Because actually, the job that we do day-to-day is gardening and landscaping, believe it or not. We're also working with our hands. We don't just talk. So, we were out doing this work one day, and they were also working on the same job. And I just remember being very drawn to them because they were having this very highly intellectual conversation about professional sports and how much is appropriate for them to get paid. And Hannah felt this driving urge to interject her opinion on the matter. You know, we were pretty much rock-solid friends after that. <laughs> the most memorable thing that I remember about them was that they meditated before they worked, which I thought was kind of unusual for this sort of a trade. So we knew that we needed to talk to these guys. We got to interview them. So, first we have Zach Johnson, who is the Z in Z-Stone. When Zach was young, just 19, he found himself looking for a new job. I actually was working this like mind-numbing job at a factory in Boulder. And uh, I, was just, I was looking for something else to do. He answered an ad for a landscaping company without any prior knowledge and ended up doing a little bit of stonework. To his surprise, he totally fell in love with stone. He tells us that he found the experience of stacking stones to be liberating, and that his love for stonework grew on him over time. He remembers the things he would hear people on his first landscaping crew say. found that a lot of, a lot of people would say that, just like, hey, the stones talk, you just gotta listen. And at first I was like, whatever, you know. But <clears throat> the more I got familiar with the work, I, you know, you realize, or I realized that there's kind of a dialogue you have with, with the material when you work with it. And so it was, it was like working with this presence almost. And despite all of the tough hard work, this dialogue with the stone drew him in further, and he's kept with it all these years. And then there's John England. John told us a little bit about how he got into this trade, too. One summer, he found himself unemployed, looking for work right as his unemployment was running out. Someone hired him to do some stonework in Boulder Canyon. John tells this great story about how he nearly broke his leg while working in Boulder Canyon. He explains how he felt panic at the idea of not being able to continue down this path of stonework, for which he had developed such a strong passion. And so I sat down, and it hit me, all of a sudden it hit me that I had just found this love, and as quickly as I found it, it was like stripped away from me. I started to cry. Not because I had no insurance and I, my leg was broken, but that um, <laughs> like I couldn't, I wasn't going to be able to do this stonework. 
Just as fast as he had found his love for stonework, he thought it had been taken away. Clearly, this didn't deter him from his path because he's still in the business today and connects with the material in much the same way as Zach. Everything we will talk about probably will just point back to the same thing of being present, being awake, and doing what you're doing. And at the same time, listening deeply to your surroundings and whatever the material is that you're working with or the people you're working with. Finally, there's Dave. Something came through and said, you better not quit. And I was like, I'm gonna. And it's like, don't do it. Actually, Dave's journey to stonework was probably the most arduous of the three, but he was dead set on finding work as a stonemason. He meandered between different job sites, he trespassed, he even tried to market himself as an independent contractor on Craigslist, despite the fact that he didn't really have any experience as a stonemason. He just really, really, really wanted to be a stonemason. Eventually, Dave's persistence, although in his case I think persistence might not be a strong enough word, paid off, and a fellow stonemason put him in contact with Zach and John. Something we'd really like to drive home about this episode is the importance of community in keeping traditions alive. A trade such as stonemasonry relies on dedicated effort to pass down knowledge and skill through generations. There has to be drive to pass this knowledge on. And in addition to this, a community in which these things can be learned is required. In medieval Japan, these communities were maintained by families and clans bound by their culture. But in the modern world, we don't always see learning communities for building career skills like stonemasonry. In the context of masonry, education depends on apprenticeship, experience, day-to-day -day practice, and the ability to make mistakes and learn from them. The Stone Foundation is a great modern example of a community that offers this. In fact, it would have been very hard for Zach, John, and Dave to break into stonemasonry without such a community, because in their experience, Traditional education didn't support what they wanted to learn. You don't really know what's out there. And I, I think this is one of my problems with the education system is there's not a lot of, in my experience at some of the you know, more public universities, is there's not a lot of connection between what you're studying and well, this is what you can do with this, this is what it's like, you know, this is what your day-to-day -day is like if you get a degree and find a job doing X. I don't know. It, it was... Uh, it was just hard to kind of connect the dots. I would separate learning in the academic system. Learning is crucial, but the system itself is limiting what you get to pick to learn. When we talk to the Z Stone guys more about education and the struggles of establishing a stonemasonry career, Zach in particular explains at one point how his experience with higher education made it clear that modern academic instruction would not help him pursue his career of choice. I, I graduated from high school in New Hampshire, and then I went to college at, uh, I went to a year at University of New Mexico in Albuquerque, and then I came up here to Boulder and finished my undergrad degree in environmental studies at CU. And people always say, oh, environmental studies, that's like stonework. And it's like, no, it's not like stonework. <laughs> not at all. So I chose environmental studies more. It was just, it was, I had some attraction to doing what I thought that work was when I graduated. But really college was great for me in the sense that it helped me define what I don't want, which was, you know, like a, a professional job. 
and I was doing stonework in college, and I really, I felt, I had fallen in love with it. Thanks to the Stone Foundation, however, experts and teachers from around the world can share the knowledge behind the discipline of stonemasonry. To hear it from the Z-Stone guys, nothing really teaches and inspires one in a trade like stonework as much as watching a master at work. You know, when I went to my first gathering at the Stone Foundation, before I was chairman, I was just a member, and, you know, I thought I was, like, good at what I did. And then you meet people from all over the world who are just doing incredible stuff been doing it for 30 40 years and it's really humbling i met these japanese guys there was one fellow who you know he brought his some of his own tools and he showed us his hammer and his chisel and on you know where, where the where the hammer and chisel met you know the head of the hammer and the head of the chisel there was this tiny little spot that was kind of like shiny where he had hit every time he swings the hammer and hits the chisel it hits it in the same spot every single time this which is like I mean, I'm always hitting my hand, hitting the side of the chisel, breaking pieces of metal off and breaking rocks. And it was just like, that was like, oh my God, he's like a monk. Uh, we were doing the wall building. And Sean Adcock was the, the man who was instructing the wallers. And he was helping me to repair something that I had done that was incorrect in the wall. Mm. There were stones all over the place, scattered all over. At any rate, Sean came over. So he said, okay, so we need to get some stones here. And literally, he turned around and goes, uh, that one. Pointed at a stone, I picked it up, and he goes, put it in the wall. Three stones in a row. He literally just turned around, surveyed, pointed, and then went right in. And he tapped into some, I mean, I'm sure it's experience, intuition, other things. But it was impressive, inspiring, humbling. The history of stonemasonry is something that survives beneath the surface of what are often considered more significant roles in society. Filed away with all the other blue-collar jobs, the potential of stonemasonry as a career is obscured by the promise of white-collar work. Five hundred years after the exploits of Oda Nobunaga, the stone foundations of those castles, those symbols of power, still remain. We mentioned at the start of this episode that work that emphasizes the relationship between people and the natural processes around them is not limited to farming. But stonemasonry isn't just another example of working with nature. It is a discipline that connects people to place, like farming. It requires an appreciation for the scope of a community's interaction with natural forces. We'd like to Zach. Zach. <laughs> we'd like to Zach. Thanks. We'd like to Zach. Thanks. <laughs> and uh, we'd yeah, like to a- thank Zach, John, and Dave for um, sitting down with us and having this great conversation. For more information about space and time, blogs, research, and our services please visit us at spaceandtimegardens.com. Time like the herb. If there is a topic you would like for us to explore in the podcast, if you or someone you know would like to participate in an interview, or if you are in the Boulder area and in need of gardening and or landscaping services, please contact us. You can email us at info at spaceandtimegardens.com. Also, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook. 
Thank you for listening and stay tuned.